Our New Testament lesson today is the epistle from Paul written to the Thessalonians beginning in the sixth, the third chapter in the sixth verse. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We are not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toll and labor we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. This is not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Not such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be worried in doing what is right. Take note of those who do not obey what we say in this letter, having nothing to do with them so that they may be ashamed. Do not regard them as enemies, but warn them as believers. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in all ways. The Lord be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You know, in this day and time, there seems to be a lot of people that are fascinated with end-time predictions. You hear it all the time on the news. And some Christians, some of our fellow Christians, dangerously seek information from non-biblical or worldly sources. Some Christians... Read things like 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Daniel, and the book of Revelation. They read into them things that are quite frankly not there. One of my last courses that I took was a deep dive into the book of Revelation. And what was clear by the end of this course, if we don't already know it, God is in charge. And we have to trust Him completely. Our salvation comes from Christ, not us. God is in control. You cannot control the wind, but you certainly can adjust your sails. We can seek God's will and we can follow it. We can choose to be obedient. You know, end times preaching and study seems to fascinate people who are often amazingly not knowledgeable when it comes to the rest of the Bible. In general, the gospel message in particular 
what comes all before the book of Revelation. Most people want to focus on the end times rather than the Savior. Some people find great fascination, you've heard them, you've talked to them, with the Mayan calendar that was very popular when we turned into this new millennium. I mean, it was a couple of years ago they were saying, oh, the Mayan calendar ends, so that must be the end of the world. Notre Dame has made great predictions. People like to focus on that. And Paul got dragged into this mindset by accident when he tried to really comfort the Thessalonians in his first letters. If you are not familiar with 1 Thessalonians, go back and read it. He states clearly, For God has destined us to wrath, but not to wrath, but to obtain salvation. To obtain salvation through Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Whether we are awake or asleep, so that we might live with him and for him. That is 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10. Go back and read 1 Thessalonians. In his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul resolved the question. He said it in chapter 5, the last day, will come quickly as a thief in the night. Jesus says essentially the same thing in Matthew 24, 36. No one knows the day or the hour. Listen very closely. Scripture interprets Scripture. Not the Mayans with their calendar not Notre Dame's. Scripture interprets Scripture. The Thessalonians became convinced that the end was imminent. You know, they were still living with the thought that Jesus was coming back right around the corner. So why do anything? Why work? Why to do anything productive? Because their death was right around the corner. Paul, in his third chapter, abolishes them for this idleness. He does it with his apostolic authority. And he commands them to do their work quietly. Go about your work quietly. Earn a living, he says. He calls on the reader of this letter to imitate the apostles to imitate him, them because they were imitating Jesus. And that is our goal, right? To be as close to Jesus as we can be. So imitate him. In addition to the warning about idleness, he admonishes them about the results of idleness. That when you are just being idle, you become a busybody. Those experts who concern themselves with the business of others. Gossip. The newsmongers. You know, when I got my first car, 
It was left to me in my grandfather's will. I will never forget it. It was a 1964 Dodge 365, black with red vinyl interior, three on the column. I was a proud human being. So I drove down to my sister's and my brother-in-law was going to change the oil for me. And he said, well, I'll do it under one condition. Your engine has to be cleaned. I had never heard of such a thing. So I went about learning how to clean an engine so I could have my oil changed. <coughs> but Jesus is not like this. We say it in our liturgy for communion and it comes straight out of Romans 5, 8. He saved us while we were yet sinners. He didn't ask, he didn't care if we cleaned up first. He cleaned us with his blood. He keeps us clean with his blood. His entrance requirement is that we have faith, believe in his sacrifice. You know, I, I, I prided myself, it's a little bit of a cinnamon, but I always thought I was just a legend in my own mind on the tennis court, <laughs> which I learned to play, not at Laurel Country Club, which we could have easily done, but by climbing the 14-foot fence at Jones Junior High. I don't know what my dad was thinking. And he would string a piece of string and then lay surveying tape over it so I had a net. And he would say, swing now, keep your eye on the ball when you swing. He taught me to play golf right over here at Millbrook Country Club and he'd say, this I never got, keep your head down, but then you were supposed to know where your ball went. <laughs> I never could see the ball after it went. I never quite got golf. And then that fateful day came, because I never played softball when I was in college. And I came home for the weekend, it was that spring, and I told him all about, oh, guess what, I'm going to play softball. And he said, well, you might need a little practice. Now, I knew I wasn't going to be anywhere important on that field. I'd be way out in that outfield. But I was going to be helping our team. And so all we had were some old gloves and a very hard baseball. So we did a little pitch and catch first. And then he decided that I needed to learn to catch the fly ball. So he said, I'm going to, you go stand on the other side of the power line. And I'm going to throw the ball over and you catch it. Well, that didn't go so well. He didn't give me the whole instructions because I was going to catch it, but it hit me right here, and it literally knocked me out. I went, and he went running over to get um, Dr. Barry. If y'all remember Dr. Barry, he was a vet in town, and so Dr. You know, that, <laughs> that says a lot about us, doesn't it? So Dr. Barry came, and he, when I finally sort of looked up, Daddy and Dr. Barry were looking at me, and Daddy said, well, you need to keep your eye on the ball, Beth. <laughs> and that's just it. We need to keep focused, to keep our eye on the prize. 
To live a sanctified life, you have to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and the good news of salvation. The Thessalonians had their salvation, but they weren't all sure what they were to do next. The transformation that Paul talks about is in Romans 12. And if you have not heard it, go back and read it. That transformation has yet to come. The transformation is our response to the mercies of God. We become followers of Christ. Imperfect imitators of Christ. We are always still falling just a little short, but we continue to grow the sanctifying grace that John Wesley talks about into the perfecting grace. We are always moving forward in it. Evermore keeping our eyes on Christ and less and less on this world around us. This starts with our baptism and continues in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our response to the gospel and not the law. The prophet Jeremiah says it more eloquently. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Look at Philippians 1.5. Paul talks about a partnership in the gospel. I love that. Think about it. Have you ever thought about that? A partnership. That's such a great concept. The very idea of partnership kind of alludes to, exudes from us somewhat of a warmth. Two or more people working together toward a desirable goal. Two or more people with different perspectives, dreams, abilities, talents, respecting each other, working together. Even the synonyms for partner sound warm and kind and good. Associate, I love the word colleague. When you think of someone as your colleague, you think of working together toward the end goal. Partners are always working toward a common goal. Not out of fear or out of force are we partners, but out of a grateful response to the gospel. Partners and the good news of Jesus Christ. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul writes about the joy of partnership in the gospel, a partnership that is centered around Christ Jesus. And we are nurtured by the Holy Spirit. If you have worked in corporate life and business, in a law office, in a physician's practice, or somewhere else, 
you see that people are always striving to make partnership. They're always striving for that corner office or to have their name on the door as part of being a partner. We're striving for that also through our belief in Jesus Christ. True partnership means that commitment. <clears throat> That's what we're called to do. Partners, good partners, are committed to the other partners. You know, out in the real world, you see people jumping ship, partners jumping ship, when things get a little rough or a better deal comes along. Employees, customers are always ready to jump ship when the seas are rough instead of waiting it out. Partners in the gospel share a common biblical vision, a passion for the Lord, a passion for the Great Commission, a passion for ministry. Partners in the gospel are partners in the church. And they realize that they have been given gifts. Everybody is given a gift and that they work together for the service of the body of Christ. So it will build up and be stronger. In all the gifts, you hear me say this all the time, we pray it all the time. Let me use the gift we have been given. All the gifts are important. Now some are more visible than others, but they're all equally important. Partners realize that an extremely important task, this is where we need to remember, when our Wednesday night mission, Thursday night mission is a good example of this. We need to train and equip others for ministry. We forget about that end of it. Train and equip others for ministry. Partners know that they must be mature in their faith and facilitate others to grow by teaching and or mentoring. To those in partnership with us already, or potential partners, we need to make sure we're nurturing each other as we grow in our faith. For our partnership in the gospel to function, we need to treat our partners as God would want us to treat them. It sounds simple enough until the sin enters. And trust me, Satan hates it when we're all working together. When we're growing stronger, you know that. We've seen it. We start to think only of ourselves and not the other person. We start keeping score. I do more than that other person does. I should have more of a say-so. I give more money, so I should have more control. How come this person is always in the limelight, and I feel like I have to sit in the background. 
instead of employing Matthew 18, 15 through 18, when our brother or sister sins against us, we talk to others and become busybodies like the Thessalonians. In the business world, only some employees get to be partners. In the business world, most customers never become partners. But here, in the church of Christ, in the church of believers, all are invited into a partnership. In the church, involvement is present at various levels, but our commitment sometimes is often lacking. In the church, we need to thank God for the customers. Thank God for the customers. And all customers are invited to be partners. And the invitation is always there. For some, becoming a partner happens very fast. The Holy Spirit finds an opening and goes to work. For others, it's a little bit slower process. We all know this, if we're familiar with Paul's story when he was Saul in his dramatic encounter with the Lord on his road to Damascus. Although he was very full of the Holy Spirit, circumstances prevented him from active public ministry for several years. But when the time was right, he vigorously pursued his ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. We know from 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 26, that Paul did not run aimlessly. He ran to the prize. He did not just sit in that desert of Arabia for three years feeling sorry for himself. What he did do was prepare himself for partnership. Should we sit in the pews as customers on a weekly or twice a weekly basis, not ever thinking or not ever trying to train to become a partner? Because training requires a little sacrifice. Training requires denying oneself. A senior partner is one who has kept their eye on the prize for a long time in business. But our salvation is a gift from God. It is by grace that we have been saved. And through faith, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works with God. And that has been prepared in advance for us to do. These works are there, but it comes from our acceptance of that free gift. And without the Holy Spirit, we cannot even say that Christ is Lord. The Holy Spirit is the one who works within us so that we may be God's 
disciples. Daily we can seek God's will in our lives through the reading of Scripture and prayer. And one day at a time we can open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and that sanctifying power. Then whenever it is that last day on earth when Christ comes in final victory, we will be in a day of joy for all of God's children. All of those who have believed that the blood of Christ cleansed them, that he saved them, and they have accepted this free gift of eternal life. Keep your eye on the ball. You know what it is. It is not these worldly things. It is one thing. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. amen.